Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 44, Communicating with Video for Effective Learning. And Kelly's looking at me, she's saying, <laughs> is it 43 or 44? <laughs> I can't tell. I'm joined by my co-host, Kelly Paredes. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And I'm Kelly, and I am a teacher who codes. We're joined this week by our good friend from Real Python. Welcome, Christopher. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. So Christopher Bailey from Real Python is a a video editor, the host of the new Real Python podcast, and he's here to talk with us today about how we can use video to more effectively uh, teach and communicate as educators. So following up on our conversation last week with David Amos about written communication, it's a really great time to start talking about how we can use video to learn more effectively or get our students to learn more effectively. So Christopher, welcome. It's great to have you here. Oh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Christopher, before we get started, just uh, give us a, a little bit of a background. How did you get into Python? How did you get into podcasting? Just a little bit of background for our listeners to let them know who you are and where you're coming from. So I have a very, really varied uh, programming background. I started as a kid trying to type in code into an Apple II with a friend. And then I ended up getting a ColecoVision. I don't know if you remember that game platform. Yep. My parents decided to buy me the Atom, which attached to the ColecoVision, which is like a crazy cobbled together based on Apple II. But anyway, so I did some basic programming on that, everything from trying to make little games to Dungeon and Dragon automatic character generator, things like that. So I went to, to college and studied engineering for a little while. And there I learned a little bit of Fortran and C. I dropped out of college and pursued music and was in bands and all that sort of stuff and didn't really get to back into programming until my wife was working in banking in mortgages in, in Hawaii and she needed somebody a new SQL. And so I basically taught myself SQL and pounded away on that and was tasked with having to rebuild an entire mortgage database from raw tables into usable forms and tools for the other members of the team. It was a really fast and quick way to have to learn SQL and build something useful out of it. From there, uh, I took a job that required Python. And again, so I just immersed myself and learned Python to be able to do uh, a marketing gig at another bank in Hawaii and kind of fell in love with Python. And from there, I got contacted. I was on the mailing list for Dan's stuff, and he sent out an email once saying, hey, is anybody interested in doing video courses? This is about a year ago. And it was like all the different things that in my background, everything from audio and being an audio engineer to dabbling in video for many, many years and loving teaching. I taught at a school for recording engineers for about 10 years and in between all those things. And it was a neat way to kind of get back into teaching and what a better way to learn Python than to teach it, which I guess you guys are probably super familiar with. <laughs> so, That's the only yeah. way to learn it, I think, for me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty powerful. And so I started creating courses there and... After a year or so, I've done about 11 courses, and Dan asked me recently to take over the whole video queue, so my job now involves reviewing everyone else's work before it gets to an editor, and then even after the editor. And so I get to see a lot more courses, and and, and then, as we were talking about earlier, I talked to Dan in December and said, uh, why doesn't RealPython have a podcast? And he said... Well, I don't have the time. <laughs> and I said, well, I dabbled in podcasting and I, I would love to do it. And 
He's like, great. So basically we split the work and he did all the stuff involving the back end and hosting and creating the feeds and all that kind of stuff. And I focused on, you know, how to record it and how to find guests and edit and all that sort of stuff. And episode five came out today, which is really cool. And so it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. We definitely appreciate the difficulties and and everything getting a (laughs) podcast going. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question, Sean, that you sent in um, from you guys. And I've been reusing that that question for a couple episodes now. (laughs) So nice. Nice. Well, well, before we get too much further, I do want to start us with the win of the week. It's our our favorite way to start the week on something positive that's happened inside or outside of the classroom. And this week, because the coronavirus continues, we're all outside of the classroom. Yeah. Uh, So um, it's pretty easy to to break that down. But Christopher, we always make our guests go first on the win of the week. So you're up. Uh, We're looking for something positive that's happened for you in the past week or so. So I've been reaching out on Twitter to find more guests and I communication's been odd <laughs> during the coronavirus as far as like misconnections and emails and, and you know all that kind of stuff. And so I finally was able to get a couple people to record and one is uh Wukash Langa, creator of Black. He's also the maintainer for Python and release manager for three eight and three nine. And we had a awesome conversation was really really great i'm super excited to share that it's coming up soon and so that was a lot of fun he does a talk about async io and using music to explain it and i think it's a really great way to explain async io it helped me understand it i own the same piece of hardware that he has which is this thing called a novation circuit so i was able to take his his code and actually run it on my machine which was really really fun and so that was a one of the big wins and then i just recorded just before we started talking with a Tanya Allard. So I was very excited to get two big recordings done and uh, get those ready to go for the future. That's awesome. Yeah, we can't wait to hear those. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'll go first because I'm going to make Kelly do the fail of the week first. So I'll let her have the <laughs> third seat on the win of the week. So for, for me, the win of the week was uh, working with one of, one of my students. Um, so we just started a new course rotation this week or two weeks ago. So this is the second week of it. So students that have had a bit of Python last year with, with Kelly, but have been at least a year since they have touched it, right? So a lot of these students are doing heavy review and starting from scratch and everything. And I have one of my students that I've worked with throughout the year as part of my advisory group. She is a new student this year. So she didn't even have the Python programming that Kelly was giving the students last year. And she has just been on fire this quarter in terms of getting things going and figuring out all the problems. And and I gave them a challenge yesterday to create a useful calculator. So they learned all about data types and inputs. So they prompt a user for a couple of inputs. They have to convert it to the appropriate data type, like a float or an int, depending on the problem, and then spit out the answer and using like an F string to make it user-friendly. So pretty good basic challenge and everything. I tell them things like you can assume that if you tell the user they have to type in a number, that they'll type in a number. You don't have to do a lot of validation or anything like that. But this particular student had gone so far and had done such a beautiful job with her code that I challenged her and said, okay, now here's a link to the Python documentation around errors and exceptions. Go figure out how to make this work so that if a user types in a non-numeric value or it can't convert it to a float or an int, give them an error message and make them do it again. And she, I sent it over to her. I got an email back that said, thanks. And then about 45 minutes later, I got an email back in all caps that said, I did it with exclamation <laughs> points and everything. And it felt so good because she was so excited about 
about these things. And, and it was one of those moments where I kind of figured if she's getting excited about input validation, like <laughs> I think we have, I think we have another good coder coming. <laughs> that sounds, it sounds like about the short film that I was watching last night about validation guy. And it was, it was a sticker. Like you come in to get your ticket validated and he was coming up and saying, you're so beautiful. You have great cheekbones. What a great tie. And now it's like those validations for these kids when I get something work. You're such a great coder. You're so awesome. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it was nice. it was pretty cool. And I've, it's been a lot of that this week. Those The students have been doing everything from score calculators for their FIFA video games to <laughs> actually all their physics equations that they've been having to learn this year in their physics class. They've been putting all those in. So power and Newton's laws and stuff like that. They've been, I've been seeing a lot of calculators with those. So they really got into it this week and it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm with my sixth graders who've never coded before. And I go through the the first four weeks of, I'm not going to say hell, but it is pretty bad in the first four weeks sometimes for sixth graders because it's like, I'm so confused. And I ban those words. You have to like, (laughs) you whip them into shape in those first four weeks about like getting them trained on how to ask questions, how to complain appropriately. Stop telling me you're so confused. I said, you've only been coding seven days. If I give you seven days of Spanish and throw you in South America in the middle of the the Amazon forest, you're not going to be able to speak too well (laughs) to the Spanish people. Um, but no, I do have a couple of wins, but I'm going to go with the low end of my win with the kids, the sixth graders. So I actually tweeted this. I gave the assignment. We've learned variables, just basic variables, basic for loops, basic input. That's pretty much in print statement functions and a little bit of F-strings. I love teaching F-strings straight away because I don't have to deal with anything else with the with the casting of, of the variables. So I give them... all all this basic and I say just write some code you have to write 25 lines of code using all this and I get some funny things like one of the kids says how many times do you want the word dolphin repeated because his favorite team is the Miami Dolphins and then the other kids like has a question with hi I'm your computer do you have any pets and and the answer comes back you cool I have a robotic fish and it's just silly things that these kids come up with (laughs) that make no sense of they have so much fun and I love reading their code I had one kid code 28 lines of code of of nonsense stuff about guessing games and jobs and yeah that's my fun (laughs) wins of the week it's just random code that gives you giggles so (laughs) nothing too too exciting on my end well, Kelly, we'll, we'll keep you rolling with the uh, fail of the week. Oh, my gosh. So fail of the week. I think I broke two computers in, two, in a week. <laughs> okay. my, my fail is I tried to run the malware bytes, and I found nine, I guess they're called POPs. What are POPs? Or pro- I, some sort of virus. I don't know what I found. So I've, I've been breaking computers here at home, left and right. <laughs> it's <yeah>. always <laughs> I've got two left. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, on my on my side, no computers broken, but we did have a beard growing competition going for the last few weeks among some of the the guy teachers in the middle school. And my fail was when my daughter uh, came up to me and she says, "Why are you doing a beard growing competition?" And I said because it's kind of fun and we don't have to be out anywhere or anything like that. We can we can do it. She's like, you're losing, right? <laughs> She's six, so there's no filter. Right. Wow. So that was my fail. I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. 
<laughs> so well, Christopher, over to you. Yeah, my fail is kind of an ongoing fail that I've been dealing with on uh, my Mac, kind of a computer issue. I, it's, I don't know. I don't think it's old, but I guess five years is old for a computer, but it, I started having problems with trying to record videos, stuff we're talking about, which is can be a little taxing on your computer. And I was getting errors and I was having crashing programs and so forth. And the computer came with something called a fusion drive, which is a common thing that comes on a Mac where it's like an SSD and a spinning drive. Anyway, so I felt like this thing is on its last legs. So I said, all right, let's back the whole thing up and I'm going to buy an SSD and another job I've had is I worked at Apple in retail. I was one of their trainers for a while. And then they asked me to do the genius thing. And so I got really good at repairing their computers and that sort of stuff. And so I was like, oh, I could do this myself. So I hadn't worked on this model of iMac before, but I bought the kit to open up the screen and pull it apart and all that sort of stuff. And I put in my own SSD. All right, where's the fail come in? Well, uh, I said, I'm going to start out with nothing on it, just be completely clean and that way i'll know all these applications are going to work perfectly and so forth and then when i eventually went back to try to start pulling pieces of data that i really wanted back from my time machine drive it wouldn't let me access any of it it's like you don't have permission you don't have permission you don't have permission i'm like "Ah." and so i had backed up my photo library separately and i had backed up my document library separately so i had like really crucial things but then I had to go on, I had another backup through Backblaze and I was like downloading individual files and it was taking forever. So I thought about getting a drive from them, which I guess is an option, but mm-hmm. so I'm still kind of dealing with that. Like my, my computer isn't completely backing up, which is making me nervous as I've created a lot of content, <laughs> and a lot of other things. So I need to uh, uh, get out of this fail, but I literally turned on my machine today. It's like, it did not back up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to start all over and declare bankruptcy, backup bankruptcy, and <laughs> start yeah. from the beginning. So, so yeah, maybe I can all, turn it into a win. <laughs> yeah, those are all, they all turn into such time sucks when you're trying to deal with like backups and the amount of data that we're shuffling around now. It's like, you, it feels like you just spend hours trying to get yourself back to a usable state. <laughs> yeah, totally. Maybe that's why my computer's been breaking. Maybe I'm doing something wrong with all my video recordings. Well, so. <laughs> well, I don't know that my my track record's not not better than Christopher's in terms of <laughs> iMac repairs. I I was repairing my in-laws and and the the one they had had a screen that you have to take off to get access to the hard drive and everything oh, that's yeah. in there. So, got the hard drive in and then I realized, "Oh, it has to be it's not like you can screw it back in. You actually have to use this like adhesive strip to hold yep. the screen in place, which yeah. I didn't have." So I went <laughs> like clamps or something. Yeah. I put like blue painters tape on it oh, to yeah. hold it in place until, until the adhesive strips would show up. So the adhesive strips show up. I pull the whole thing out. I'm ready to go. And I slipped out of my hand and dropped and the oh. tempered glass just like shattered everywhere. So, so that was another trip to eBay to find a replacement screen. Wow. So, so uh, Kelly, I don't, I think you should leave it up to the, maybe the professionals. Yeah, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I'm just going to keep working through all the Macs. Like, at least I have, I had, had three. <laughs> no, I had two. Got, got another one. I'm going to be working on a Chromebook by the end of the week. Watch out. <laughs> I don't know. We'll code on Replit or something. I'll yeah, let you guys it, know how that works. <laughs> it totally works. There's so many ways to code Python now. <laughs> all right. Let's get on with this craziness. Let's do this. Okay. So we are here to talk about video. So last week we talked with David Amos from Real Python about written communication. And that was really coming from a place of 
in a remote learning, in a distance learning, distributed learning environment, whatever you want to call it, the importance of written communication and documentation is extremely valuable. Um, As we go from the classroom where we're all face-to-face and we have that rich communication, but it's very informal in some ways and, and verbal, we're switching over to now where everything has to be communicated in some form online, whether it's in a live Zoom meeting or email or other posts. And so we thought that as a nice complement to the written communication episode that we did with David last week, we asked Christopher to join us to talk about video content creation. And we're not going to get into intermediate and advanced video production. So <laughs> talking about high-end cameras or things like that, we've probably strayed too far. But for most teachers, recording lessons, recording videos, for students is something that they may not be familiar with or comfortable with. And so even just starting at the beginning of how do you record or create good video content for your students to learn is our goal today. So that's our our plan. Yeah. And also just to add in, we're kind of looking at this humanizing, this this connectiveness, because David made a really interesting point last week was the zero visual cues. As teachers, we're used to being able to say something and read the the kid's face and say, oh, okay, we can go back. Oh, you don't get it. I'll go back. And we're doing this in written communication. And I'm trying to make, and I know other people are making screencasts and video tutorials, but we're just trying to make some sort of connectedness with our, with our students who are missing us. I like to believe they're missing us, but missing <laughs> us and, and trying to keep that, that personality. So that's yeah. kind of a goal, I think, for a lot of teachers. Yeah, cool. So Christopher, I guess the, where we start with this is where do, you, where do you begin when you're looking to create a piece of video content? Where does the production process or pre-production process start? in order to get things going with creating a new piece of video content? Well, I have this huge advantage of working for RealPython in the sense that we are taking a lot of the written articles in our case and using that as a basis to build uh, video content on. So all the things that David spoke about of working on an outline, all those editing steps, all those things have happened. And now we're looking at making it more visual, making it more interactive, potentially walking people through the code in a much more uh, visual fashion. Those are the steps that we really have to sort of focus on. And so I still go back and start off with an outline. I really believe in having multiple ways of explaining something. I'll start with having the outline first of having, um, I'll explain something in slides. It could be a PowerPoint or we've been using Google slides lately. I have my own frustrations with Google Slides, but I come from an Apple background, so I was using Keynote and kind of going back and forth between those, depending on if I want to do sort of animations and fancier stuff. But I like to explain the concept first in the slides beyond just the outline of actually, okay, show, maybe it's maybe it's a method, like I'm teaching about, let's say, list methods or something like that. So I'll have it written out there in front of them and then speak about it a little bit before I jump into a live session. This is a personal opinion. I like to show multiple ways of getting into something. And so it's kind of like a tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Kind of like those three things that you hear sometimes. And I definitely try to practice that. Actually, I don't know if you guys have seen a few of the creations I have. I've actually uh, watched list uh, today and yesterday. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so I 
I go through this. I, I actually edit my own stuff, and I'm really deep into Final Cut and that sort of stuff. But I like to give an overview and show what you're going to get into. And for a few recent courses, I really want to get people kind of amped up, like I did one on Pygame. And so I want to get them excited about, well, this is what you're going to see and actually show the finished product. And so it's kind of like that, tell you what you're going to tell them kind of thing. And then I did one on the Arduino, which is the most recent one I did. And that one is probably the fanciest I've ever been with video. <laughs> I actually, it's only using iPhone, but I'm shooting it in 4k and then editing and doing picture in picture and getting way more elaborate than you want. But when I started the whole first thing was like, okay, I'm going to explain on this slide what we're going to talk about and then switch into typically a, a live REPL session that's been, depending on the concept, if it's more in the basics, which is I think where you guys mostly focus on. I really like to use a live coding tool called BPython. I know there's other ones like IPython can help with this. I know you guys mentioned that you're using a Mac. Um, it works really well on a Mac. It's a little hard on Windows. There's this library called Curses that's not part of uh, the distribution for Windows, and it's a little hard to get around it, but What's nice about it is like something like VS Code or some of these more advanced integrated development environments where they have code completion and give you hints and things like that. BPython does that, and I like how it does it. It's, it's really nice as you type something out, it'll show the whole description of what this method's going to do. As you go in, it'll show all the arguments. So I can just, instead of just rapidly typing, I can just stop hit the dot, and then it'll actually show me all of the methods. Well, here's what it can do. I put the method in, put in the parentheses, then it actually will show the arguments, the parameters that I can put in. And so I'll talk about them. And so I kind of, I'm a person who speaks fairly quickly, and I've actually heard that complaint occasionally on, on my videos. It's pretty rare. I think it's one of these balancing acts. I'm a person who listens to podcasts at, at high speed, but I probably couldn't listen to mine at high speed. <laughs> so, and we have a real international audience. And so I think that's one of those kind of things where you got to figure out, especially with probably students where, where it works as far as speed, but I like to especially pause and show those things. And then the other thing that I really want to show in this process is it going correctly, but then also showing the things that will fail and go wrong. And I think that's a big part of it. They definitely do that a lot in the articles also, but I, I think there's two schools of thought in a lot of the video courses at real Python. There's a school of thought of let's simplify the concept because it's a really long article. And I want to just get these key ideas out to you so that somebody can digest it in a half hour or something like that, or a couple short little bites. And then there's a different school of thought, which is, kind of my more school of thought is I want to expand on what the written stuff is showing because that article is still there, but I want to show more visual examples. I want to show more potential pitfalls that people are going to fall into. <laughs> and so I try to try to show those, or if you make a mistake, I would argue not to freak out and show the error, show them, show the mistake, show what the machine's telling you. We just did a podcast episode with the, with Martin about this, that errors are your friends. They're yeah. not there trying to yell at you or be mad at you. They're just trying to point out, hey, something happened here. And and as you start to realize that sort of friendship and develop it a little bit further and kind of hear what the communication is, it's a real great way to kind of build on top of that. And I, I So that's one of the steps I kind of follow in that. 
So just think, to, to kind of summarize, because yeah, sure. we, we start with the, the beginnings of this, with starting with the outline and starting with the, yeah. the pieces that you want to cover. From there, that will, it sounds like it turns into how, like how, what kinds of things do you want to show in video, right? Because right. it's such a showing medium. It's easy to write things and have people read it. Clearly, I mean, it's not easy to write things, but that's the goal is to to write it out and let people read it and follow along and skip back and forth and everything. But with video, you have that sight, sound, and motion where they can hear you talking through it. Right. They can see what you're doing. They can see the change occur. I think that, like, so that connection between what do you want to outline, what do you want it to accomplish or communicate, and then how does that turn into practice, right? Well, what are the things that you want to cover and how do you want to show that in the video is yeah. kind of that interesting connection, I think, for a lot of the, the teachers. How do they get it from an idea in their head to an actual video product? Yeah, and I want to I want to jump in because I want to take that even further back. I was thinking because okay. the layout that's going on, and I think this is something that I just started really diving into. I We were using Real Python. We've been using it for about a year, a little bit, a little, a little bit more. Okay. And I really... When I started being teaching online, I started looking at real Python articles and videos, and I just love how everything's really short segmented. I was having a conversation with Sean. I can't really follow the tutorials that are written. For me, as a basic learner, yeah. the short little four minute, five minute tutorials, and you have here's here's a list and what lists are, and here's indexes and here's slices. Yeah. It's very nicely laid out in small segments. So if I do four little videos, I can watch your little outline. You tell me about the list. I go, oh, yeah, I forgot to teach that. <laughs> and then, and then I'm yeah. like, pause, go back and record. But it's these, this little thing that the outline and taking something, explaining it, chunking it. Yeah, chunking. Yeah. Have this nice little video closing it out, re rephrasing it, and then going into a new concept. It's not, some people like to t have a tutorial that's two hours long on list, yeah. list comprehension. And it's like, whoa, I, I don't even know how to make a list yet. And so I, I wanted to back that up about that, that's feature. If you've never seen real Python and seen some of the tutorials, you can visit and usually you see about two or three of the videos for free if you're not yeah. a paid membership like we are. So just have people to go check that out if you haven't seen it. It's a really great layout. So go ahead. Sorry. That was, that <laughs> what was a plug a big, for you. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I, that was something really uh, crucial that Dan wanted to include. I agree that I've attempted to watch a uh, full length, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> tutorials on say something like YouTube. And I have a real hard time with it, partly because I'm an editor and it drives me crazy. I know that's not, there's like a whole monetization thing in YouTube that involves basically having this long drawn out conversation and have one video that actually made it by viral many, many years ago. It's a video of my hamster, <laughs> which your kids might love actually. And it's like stuffing carrots in its cheeks. My wife has a whole story. I started making films at home and anyway, we needed a prop. And I was going to buy this little stuffed hamster and she said, no, let's get a real hamster. I'm like, okay. And then you end up spending all the, accoutrements to have a hamster in a cage and all that stuff. She just gave it baby carrots one day and she thought she had killed the hamster because it stuffed it in its <laughs> cheeks. She thought it was like going to die anyway. So, so anyway, she does this whole video about it. It's pretty funny, but it has like 4 million views. And I used to actually make, you know, income on it. Not much, but a little bit. 
and they changed the entire thing now it all is about length of time how long is somebody there and so the whole hey guys like that whole long part of it is like such a thing that is needed to basically keep people engaged and that's what i like about real python and and some of these other tools that we have out there is like let's just get to these points let's make it indexable in the sense that you can go back and okay that topic didn't make sense i want to go back and learn more about that or i want to jump ahead and even in my podcast like i put in time codes and i put in chapters because I want to jump around to those things. I want to go back and, and try to find things. And so I think that part is, as far as learning is concerned, how often as a teacher do you reference the index and the glossary and all these kinds of tools that are there um, for learners? And so, yeah, definitely chunking things, making it smaller, getting a, a single point across and, and being successful with that, I think is really important. So that is a big part of it. And sometimes you take an article and you need to change the order because how am I going to flow through this thing? It may not make sense. Like they may have started off with like a really advanced area to kind of get people hooked into the article, but there's so many steps that you needed to get to, to get there. And that's a actually a really big thing that I really want to make sure. And as a reviewer now, I have to, I code through the thing. I like watch and I actually try as a student their stuff out. Dan loves it that I do that because I don't think he had the time before to do it. And now I'm like super (laughs) detailed and being this perfectionist of like, well, actually this didn't work and this didn't work and that and so forth. And so it's weird. It's a role I've never thought I would have of like having to sort of sort of like code review (laughs) of of people's work as far as creating these courses and so i I hope it's helping and kind of to see it from somebody else's eyes but i really want to make sure that don't skip steps make sure that like don't if you can depending on if it's an intermediate or an advanced video you may not have a chance to be able to say Mm -hmm. sometimes you could reference other articles and things that people could go back to if they need to learn more about virtual environments or some of the kinds of things that are going to take you on a tangent but as far as basic videos yeah man Every single step, cover them. Let's take a minute, though. I want to make sure we're we're keeping this in mind for someone who sure. maybe hasn't done a lot of video content creation in the past. So okay. maybe let's take a step back for a moment and just talk about what do you need to get started? So you need yeah. an outline, right? Like you sure. need to know what you're going to record. What would you recommend for you know teachers maybe that have access to Amazon and maybe a little bit of their own money? They don't have a huge budget. How could someone get started with video content creation, creating something for their students that could be inexpensive to start or a way to to get going that is maybe good enough? It doesn't have to be amazing, but good enough. I don't have a list of the hardware in front of me, but I can try to share some of that. But I think the audio is going to be really important. I I can't stress that enough. I'm an audio engineer, but I, I will turn off videos instantly if the audio is bad and so you got to get that at least to a level that's just listenable i mean think about it yourself like how many times do people forgive mediocre or poor video (laughs) we're like oh i can zoom in or i can do this other sort of stuff i mean you pay for the headphones on an airplane to give the (laughs) video away for free so it's one of these things where you really have to think about so getting a nice microphone getting close and up on it paying attention to the sound is really, really crucial. Along with that, as far as capture goes, start out using just QuickTime, which has a way to capture your screen or a portion of your screen. It comes with a Mac, which is nice. It's sort of built in. 
And that's been the tool I've used for quite a while. And only recently did I switch. The main reason I switched was I was doing so much editing of my own videos. I wanted a tool that helped a little bit more with consistency of the window size and placement and stuff like that. So I got a tool called I show you, it's a really dumb name, uh, letter I show and the letter U and then instant. And what I like about it, unlike tools like Camtasia, which is another great tool that's out there, it, it doesn't have to recompile the video. It's basically when you hit done, that's the instant part of it is it, it's a done video. And so if you're not going to edit it, you're just going to go ahead and share it. You're not having to go through the, all these steps of like, now it's asking me about what codec I want. I don't even know what that is and all those kinds yeah. of steps. And so I like that about it. It's a, something that you could then instantly post it on YouTube or wherever you're going to share your video at. Am I hitting the kinds of things that you're Yeah, yeah. I think we, okay. I wanna, Kelly, do you want to plug yeah. a couple of the tools that you found? Yeah, so I'm just thinking about some of our teachers out there who are working in low-income schools or are working at home. A lot of yeah. us, all the teachers are footing this bill of production and everything. So I'm using Screencastify myself, which okay. I have no editing and I've made 20 different cuts of the same video because my kids walk in and I have to start over. I've said the great thing about podcasts, Sean gets rid of all our ums. So, yes. <laughs> but in my screencast. I, I can't wait to like edit that one where so Sean gets rid of all of our. Wait, but, I need that one. <laughs> yeah. So Screencastify, I like, that's the one I've been hitting a lot with. Is that what you're okay. using, Sean? Screencastify? Yeah, I've been using Screencastify and I've been using the, the built-in QuickTime recorder. I think one, one tip that I have that if you don't have access to a lot, just plugging in a pair of headphones with an inline microphone will give yeah. you a pretty good boost in quality for the audio. It helps with echo, and you have the microphone that much closer to your mouth to be able to pick up what you're what you're talking about. Like we've recorded several of our podcast episodes when Kelly's been on a field trip or remote, just using an inline microphone, and it's a, a pretty big upgrade from trying to record on the microphone that's built into your computer. Definitely. And I don't even use my, our podcast microphone to do my screencast. I use the little headsets that I got the kids to practice at school with their, with their okay. speaking. Yeah. So those, that's pretty interesting. The one thing that I, I really wish I knew how to do in a cheap, easy, quick, cause teachers don't really have that much time is to do that slide capture into my mm -hmm. video. Cause I really like that feature of right. everything. So I've been typing it up into the code with a multi-line comments <laughs> or, okay. or hashtag. Like un uncommenting them? Or? No, I just hashtag all my notes on the top. Okay, sure. <laughs> like, so that was something that I've been doing as a makeshift because I've been making, like chugging out a lot of screencast in one, two minute chunks of yeah. basics. And then the other thing that I've been doing, I mean, I guess I've, I'm kind of making my own little real Python site is making this Google site to organize okay. all of these. So it's just the little things for the people that don't have the money um, doing the same that, thing that you're doing. <laughs> well, I think that you could, you could potentially have your slides be independent and, and then, okay, now we're going to dive into the code and that'll be the next video or something mm -hmm. like that. So that's one way you could approach it. One of the course creators uses a, a Mac feature. Again, if you're on a Mac, it's, it's nice, but it, it's called Spaces where you literally have multiple desktops. And so he'll have his Google slides or what have you ready to go there. And then he'll use whatever the two, three, three finger slide back and forth. And you'll see it happen as like an animation. And I thought that was kind of slick as a, one way to do it. I record slides separate and then video, and then I edit them together because 
on that level of doing things. I know there's a handful of fairly inexpensive tools to do assembly and maybe like there's a really, really powerful tool and it's free if you're only doing 1080p. It's called DaVinci Resolve, but it's a full-on editor. It's like 4K, 8K movies and color colorizing and all those kinds of things that you would do for actually releasing professional movies. Now, you might say, well, gosh, would a person who's not really into this want to get into it? Well, my wife creates content for the mortgage company she works for. She works from home also, which is great. And she got a job recently doing training for them. And I said... She's asking me what are the tools that we could do. And we looked at Premiere, which is this whole massive subscription and all these kinds of things. And she was using a PC. I said, well, maybe this DaVinci Resolve thing might work for you. Now, my videos I've been doing in 4K, so I couldn't do that. I'd have to pay. But for a free tool where they're really just trying to get more people using this, it's super powerful. What's nice is that that would then give you the ability to say, all right, that pass didn't work. And I just want to overdub this line or I want to... I want to redo my voice because maybe the coding was fine or maybe you have your slides and you just want to redo that. So those are some potential ways. I'll have to think of maybe I can find some other tools. I know Camtasia, it's a popular one, but, or even Snagit on the PC, I think Uh, is another one that you can do basic capture with, but having a way to overdub, gosh, it'll save you so much time as trying to fix things. So here's another question. How do you type so fast? My kids always want to know when they watch videos because I try to type and I feel like I make more errors typing. <laughs> is that... There's you, a is... little magic there. I, am I need to know the magic. Up. I'm actually using a speed up tool. So I'm, I actually, I, yeah, I'm totally cheating. I, I separate the audio and then I highlight the area of video and then I'm like double time <laughs> because I'm, I'm a terrible typist. And so I... That's the trick I've seen other people do. And maybe this would work for you. One of the new authors there, Christopher Trudeau, he he really wants it to be like a presentation and he will practice it in that way. So he will take his REPL sessions, if you will, and take the code that he created in there and make it be almost like bullets that appear in there. So it looks like he's typing it and it kind of like prints across the screen <laughs> using a, a technique. And so... And then he can discuss it as it's going. It's not quite the same live environment thing that I like about some of the other tools, but depending on what you're trying to show, it may be that nice in between um, of kind of like letting you have the code appear line by line. Because that's one thing I don't like about slides is if you're not going to do bullets or if it's just so many words and you make them all appear and it's just super distracting. And so you really need to be there's so many great present. You can think of it as creating a presentation and, and hosting it. You just need to think about, okay, you know, minimal amount of words. You're adding the spoken word, so you don't need to say every word that's on there. You should be adding something to it. So, Cool. Yeah. One of the things that, that we've talked about a little bit is finding the right balance of production versus speed <laughs> versus skill, right? Oh, so yeah. it's like a, almost like a triangle that you're trying to figure out how to what the shape of that looks like and i think it's easy for a lot of new content creators so if you're you know a teacher getting started to look at what's being created on a site like real python or on youtube or something like that someone right. who's had years of experience creating <laughs> content and say well whatever i create isn't going to be good right like it's not going to be good because i can't i don't know how to do that and one of the things that we've you know talked about with our students especially is 
you, the only way you're going to get better is by doing something, right? Like yeah. you have to start somewhere. Do you have any advice for, for teachers in terms of, you know, how to think about their first steps creating content and how to, you know, that kind of mental game of how do I create content and feel comfortable publishing it? I don't know if this is a, a great analogy, but when I tried to get into video in general, I was I was working at the school for recording engineers, and I had worked with somebody. I made a bunch of music for a for this video for a hotel. It was uh, for the Fairmont Scottsdale Princess, and I made custom music that went into this video. I was so proud of the video that I went and shared it with everybody, and so everybody assumed that I made the whole thing, and I had just done the music, and so they're like, "Oh, well, you should make commercials for us, and you should do this." And so I, I I'm like, "Okay," and so I took this crazy task on, like you guys are having to take on, of like. Oh my God, now I'm doing video and now I'm going to have to edit video. And now I'm going to, and I'm like, I really was, you know, nervous and excited at the same time to try it out. So as I got into that world of video, I decided to challenge myself. And maybe you can think of this as a challenge yourself in, in the sense of there were these things called 24 hour or 48 hour movie challenges. And you would have to basically, you'd show up at a, the destination on a Friday night and they'd be like, okay, you got to use this prop. You have to use this line of dialogue. You have to use, you know, so forth and so on. And so we'd go back, write an entire story, a script short, obviously three, five minutes, something like that, shoot it, edit it, you know, output it to a DVD. That was what you did at the time <laughs> and then deliver it. And then what was really awesome or again, could be really nervous, nerve wracking is they would actually then have a, showing at a movie theater and they would show these movies that you created. And so that deadline, if you will, of like having to create something and, and having it to have to be you know good enough that I can share it was like such a motivator for me to learn the software, to learn how to do it and so forth. I don't know what that can be for a teacher as much, just having the deadline and maybe having someone to share it with, to, to show it to like that kind of community thing and, having that that's kind of the thing I've been learning in Python in general is just like how important the community is as far mm -hmm. as learning and finding that community around, okay, we now have this team of people who are having to make videos, how I want to show you techniques that I've tried here and, and so forth. And maybe having this deadline to say, this has to happen here. I mean, you already probably have lots of deadlines for <laughs> every day. So many things. <laughs> yeah. As a teacher, but I don't know. That's one way I thought of it. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, I was actually thinking, because a lot of teachers, I see it happening, we default, and I could easily put up some of your stuff and have, have your list videos be out for the kids, and, and that's, right. that's helpful, but I think the teachers need to understand, kids want to hear their teachers' voices, at least 50% right. of the time, I would <laughs> say. I don't know. Let me give a number to that. So you just kind of have to do it. I, I never want to listen to my screencast ever, and I try not to, but I force myself to listen to them and review them at least to know if right. it's garbage or not. But yeah, I think deadlines are definitely a very important thing. If you set up your goals, oh, I'm going to do list this weekend, finish that <laughs> right. up, because your, your real Python article on list, I'll cover about three of your videos in about 10 videos for my, for my littles because I right. have to break it up for them. So I think deadlines is definitely a, a good thing for teachers to be reminded of and not, not ones that are going to stress you, but 
Yeah, but your I don't own think, goals. <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, recreating something is a bad thing mm. at all either. I think that uh, can be really, really powerful. I mean, how many people learn music mm. by doing cover songs and, and those kinds of things? You know, the entire there's so much basis around that till you can become comfortable with it. So recreating something that you like, I think would be at least good practice. I haven't thought about it that way, but th- I think that would be kind of a one way that you could say, you know, even if you're just saying, okay, I'm going to try to follow the same steps in that way until you become more comfortable. And I think right. it's also just a good learning thing. I, I would, I would challenge any teacher out there who is like me trying to learn how to code. I, I have to do the basics every nine weeks. And every time I do the basics, I learn a little bit more right. like the whole, just watching the other day, watching, I guess it was your video about identifying two lists with the same content, but they're not equal because they're not in the right order. You did list A is list B, and that's a false statement. I learned that. I didn't know that you could do is. I knew you could do equal, equal. And right. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I think, so I think the, the whole having to recreate, watch other people's videos, recreate your own screencast or whatever for your students has been a, a huge learning opportunity for me. Yeah. Well, it also kind of removes one of the variables, right? Like you don't have, if you're basing it off of good content that you know is, you know, accurate and complete and and reasonable, then you're removing that variable of, of, am I saying the right thing Mm -hmm. or am I, do I have this right? So you can at least focus on, on the other parts. The, the other idea that I had as we were talking, and this could be a lot of fun is, you know, your students are at home with the same basic setup that you have also. They've got a computer with a webcam and probably some headphones that they could plug in. You right. could do like a flip grid where everyone has to come up with the best screencast for an idea or something like that. So push it out to the students or flip right. things around. If I, as the teacher, am, the begin- am a beginner at creating content, our, our students are probably better than we are. They're, they're doing TikToks. They're doing the technology yeah. stuff. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> well, if we can do a TikTok cast of, of Python code. That could be fun, right? But, I hear but in like, China, flip they it around, do you know? more stuff like that. Like, they, yeah. you know, have like, they share like crafting and all these kinds of things as beyond just the, the t- typical social stuff. So yeah, it would be interesting. Cool. So maybe that could be kind of fun. So in terms of the other question that we have is around how much of yourself, like, so like when you're doing screencasts, right, it's usually voiceover and we're (laughs) overdubbing and things like that. But for a lot of teachers, like the students crave that connection. They want to see that you're there. So I've been doing a lot of like picture in picture. So it does a little pop up of my webcam in the corner so that my students can see me as I'm talking. Any hints or guidance for people who want to include live video or a video recording in their in their screencast in terms of lighting and setup and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do that. I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm so, I don't, I'm not averse to it. I know Dan was doing a lot of that on his, his early video pieces. Um, I know that's a huge thing on YouTube and obviously Twitch streams. And I, so I've mm-hmm. thought about doing it, but I haven't yet, uh, partly because I edit my stuff so much. So it would be kind of weird, but I, I think if I practiced it, I, as far as lighting goes, you really got to focus on, I mean, look at it, <laughs> number one. And I, I, this is like just a video thing, backlighting. If there's a window behind you or there's like all this bright stuff behind you, it just, these cameras are not really fantastic that are built into the computers. I mean, if you buy an additional camera, which are hard to find now because of everything that's going on, like a Logitech or some other kind of thing to put on there, it would give you a little better quality and maybe more what's called dynamic range from black to white. But 
I would just make sure there's some lighting in front of you so that it's coming from the screen towards you some. I um, I used to do more of that. I, I was thinking about, as you were talking about practicing, I when I taught at the School for Recording Engineers near my end of my tenure there, I and I was getting ready to leave, I recorded my classes so that basically I could not in person, but basically train my replacement a person who was going to come in after me. So I, I just set up a camera and a couple different angles and tried to, to record. And this is like 10 years ago. And just being able to look at that stuff again and see how you're doing is really great. And again, you're not in the classroom situation now, but as far as practice in the future, just record yourself and figure out your rhythms and stuff. And, and maybe you can reuse some of that too. Uh, as far as tools, I haven't used it, but I think I show you that thing I was talking about before can do the dual capture. I think maybe we even briefly talked about OBS, the open broadcasting, whatever that OBS stands for. Anyway, it has a tool that is designed for streamers and it definitely has layouts for, it's going to capture both the, the video and, and your screen at the same time. I wish I could speak to more of it, but definitely just like my video right now is terribly distracting because I have all these guitars and, and drum kits and all this kind of weird stuff behind me. And so I would try to eliminate some of those distractions. Like yours is pretty good, Sean, with like you just have like a something hanging on the wall behind you. But yeah, because I, I can imagine that being a, a, a student, <laughs> I would definitely be like staring over at all these other kinds of things and paying attention to them. Well, I also so, have my I also have my back against the wall, so as I'm recording, it's less likely that like my kids are going to walk behind behind yeah. me and Those things like fun. that, right? Yeah, that's mine too. I had I was noticing the other day when I was on a Zoom meeting, I had some papers hanging up from my kids' get in trouble list. Yeah, so definitely the, the background. I don't use my picture in picture on on Screencastify. You can use that. It's bad enough I look at my hear my voice on the radio. So <laughs> right, like as a right. teacher, you just I don't want to hear my voice, but then I make my my funny expressions and I was looking at myself. <laughs> so I don't know if you're not a person that likes to look at yourself, especially when we're in coronavirus and we haven't had our hair done in a couple of weeks. Right. So. <laughs> I'm almost to the point of shaving my head. Yeah. Again. I used Shot. to do that for the band. <laughs> I want to I want to go over I th- I started to try to make 10 tips and I don't know if I'm missing some. But like, sure. I want to go back through it and make an outline, use yep. a table of contents, use so- slides. I like to use my code editor for my slides, but I like that idea of the spaces kind of flipping and through with a three finger swipe. I'm going to yeah. try that because okay. I really like the, the slide aspect and typing out an outline because I think that helps. For me, short video lengths, I yeah, don't yeah, uh, What is your longest in real Python for your little <laughs> so, tutorials? <laughs> Real quick. Um, <laughs> well, so I had to do one for, not had to, I was excited to do one for the release of Python 3.8. And Gerarn, who was my first guest on, on my podcast, he's a great author, but he's super detailed and he will go that extra link that I kind of do. We actually have a kind of good relationship. We've done a handful back and forth, did the decorators one with him. And so I got to this video where the topic is, about this new feature of Python 3.8 about these things added to type checking. And I didn't really want to break it up into other things because it didn't make sense to me. I felt like all this content needed to stay the same. And I didn't want, like, if you're interested in type checking, which there are a lot of people who are not, it's a fairly advanced thing. But if you're going to be an open source, you're going to contribute, or even just want to know what all this funky additional stuff that doesn't seem very functional inside of your Python code, what is that stuff? 
And so I, it ended up being, I don't know, 17 minutes, which is long for me. That's probably the longest video I've added in a series. But generally, yeah, I try to stay under 10 minutes. I and will mo- approach it occasionally. but And most of them are, there are a lot of short ones. So like the short introduction is, is usually yeah. around a minute long, yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah, is minute, nice. Minute and a half, yeah. <laughs> Depending how free- long the course is. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the free videos. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's always the ones. Okay, yeah, Dan so surprises sh- people to put some other free ones up in the Real Python yep. YouTube channel. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So. Your third one on list is up, by the way, on indice- indices. Oh, okay. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, How to slice and stuff okay, like that, too. Okay, so yeah. short video lengths. I like that you have in the articles and in the videos are intro, teach, and repeat. Yeah. And don't be afraid to recreate. Picture and pictures up to you. And then maybe have some students make some screencasts of themselves. Do you have anything else to add on that, Sean, that I missed for our... <laughs> I think, well, I think the other thing we talked about a little bit was how to, how to display the code that you're writing. So you don't have to have, if if you feel comfortable, you can speed it up a little bit so that people aren't waiting for you to fumble through the the code that you're doing. I mostly Um, do it on comments. I really don't like if, if it's a comment and I'm going to speak this line, I usually will speed up the typing of me typing a comment. So maybe you could paste that in or, or again, other techniques, because again, that's just for there. It's not the functional code part of it. Oh, um, I actually put the comments already in. There you go. Because that's my <laughs> Fill outline. Fill the around it. <laughs> so there you I go. Can't, <laughs> because when I start to speak and type uh, my code, I slow down and say um a lot. So um. yeah, right. I think the other the other one we mentioned was using bpython in term in, instead of ipython because it lets you see that code completion. So you can yeah. There's a handful of other tools that are like that yeah. that are great, and they just that idea of code completion or giving the definitions of, of functions and, and all these kinds of things where it, it's really explaining that code visually for you. And very often you might have the tendency to just skip past it, but it, it's nice to sort of pause and, and, and also like, that's probably the most common thing I've ever gotten comments on is like, what is that? <laughs> I want that. Cause they want to experiment with it. The, the students who are watching my other stuff because they, that's what the REPL's for, right? Is to yeah. play a little bit. And so having a tool that can kind of be your friend and <laughs> show you, well, these are all the possibilities and these are all the types of things that are in it. And so that that kind of code completion and displaying that additional information, it's such a tool to help them teach themselves. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted I was, to, sorry. I just remembered ahead. one thing. And I like this, you said this, is removing the jargon. And you're going to have to do this for your, for for your students. So I use jargon for them. Like yeah. we talk about ice cream socials and TikTok videos when I code right. and and things. So I think making your your jargon, your variable choices or however you're going to code, make right. it applicable for your audience. I think that's a that was a huge kind of thing. That foobar does I never knew oh. what that was all about either. And Sean yeah, had to tell I, me. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a computer science kind of thing and it's been around forever. And there's so many people that are coming into Python from all these different backgrounds and they don't necessarily have a CS kind of background. And if I'm like, I did a whole video course on packaging and what you were importing was like, okay, go ahead and import foo. And everybody's going to be like, to me, like, why, what is it doing? Oh, it doesn't do anything. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd like it to do something. I'd like it to have a name that makes sense. Like 
something I'm going to use. So I created this whole fictitious example of like, this is a module that, and this part of the code is all about emailing. So you're importing this function that's really important because it's going to send the email. And this thing is the class about customer as opposed to it being import foo. What is that? What is bar? And then what's worse is when I was doing the list one, this is when I really went to town on that. <laughs> it, it, the list example in the article, it goes into this thing of kooks or quacks or I don't even know how to pronounce it. And I was like, so I got so frustrated because it was like Q-U-X, Q-U-U-U-X. And so I said, Python is really based around Monty Python. <laughs> That's really where the name comes from. And so I have seen lots of other examples where they're using the spam thing. And so I went... Mm -hmm way deep into that whole spam skit and it's like spam egg spam bacon lobster <laughs> and for me that's fun and of course i get the occasional mm, bacon <laughs> kind of comment but yeah to me that that makes more sense and it, it's a little more it's a little more fun and again make it your your own you know, personalize it and, yeah. and the same thing with definitely for function names and having actual things that you're, you're working with and touching it, it, it makes it I don't know. It just makes it more readable. Like having a real like set, like when I was learning the, this programming language R, they would just go to like this whole data set on like flowers, <laughs> it's right. the Iris database mm -hmm. and, or, or cars or, or something like that. And it just makes it way more approachable. And I don't know, it switches the switch in my head. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it kind of gets into a, a little bit broader topic too around pacing, right. And, and finding the pacing of your videos in your own, natural cadence for how you record and how you share things. And if you go too slow, people get bored and they abandon you. If you are going too fast, they can't keep up. So finding that pacing is, is really important. And the content that you're using is a key component of that interest level and engagement as well. So I think right. that that was the only other thing I was going to add to our list is really around finding a good pacing and don't be afraid to feel like you're going slow because people are going to run it at one and a half speed if they really want to, or <laughs> yeah. they'll they'll take some time to to think it through. It takes practice to find that that pacing that works well for you. We've gone through quite a bit here, actually, and and Christopher, it's a lot to think about, and I know that a lot of <laughs> a lot of people are trying to juggle all these different things. And to to kind of sum it all up, just get started somewhere. Find something yeah. that you can record, create it. it it's okay if it's terrible. I mean, it's okay if you look at it and you say, this is a piece of garbage. Go create the second one that's a little bit better and a little bit better, just like anything else we do in yeah, yeah. coding and development and, and growth. Yeah, your first lesson you give is going to always be the roughest one and getting through it and having taught in class and, and trying to get through that. It's, <laughs> it's hard and students can make or break it. And I can imagine now it's even harder. Like if you don't have an excited bunch of faces watching you, Trying to create your content now is probably even harder. So I, they're I so happy right now. They're coding from their beds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our, our our classroom was probably one of the most zen classrooms at school with our bean bags and our apple bar oh, cool. and our our lighting. But I've seen the kids laying in bed coding, and the rest of the teachers don't like that. But I'm just like, go for it. I'm outside if I can and coding. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. Get get exactly. on it and record people. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So, so Christopher, we're gonna we'll wrap up here. But first, thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to to talk with you and and learn a little bit about your process for how you do all the work you're you're doing with Real Python for video content. The the podcast is such a great addition to the the Python sphere. I think it's not just being a on a podcast, but 
listening to a lot of Python podcasts, you really feel connected to people in the community when you hear them on a podcast and you can hear their actual voice talking about the the things that they're excited about. So thank you for, for all the work that you're putting into that and bringing more voices to our community. Oh, thanks so much. So I guess that's it, Kelly, unless you have anything else to, to wrap up with. No, my son's sitting there going, telling me he has a Zoom in like two minutes. In two <laughs> oh, minutes, mommy, I need two machine. minutes. I need my computer <laughs> yeah, back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so then for him, for teaching Python, this is Sean. <laughs> and this is Kelly. Signing off. Mm-hmm.